Well, good morning again, friends. You know, I, I, I love Pastor Rick, but I also uh, always appreciate when he goes out of town because I enjoy preaching too. So uh, this morning is actually an exciting day. We're going we're gonna to be starting a brand new sermon series here this morning. And uh, I thought of actually uh, throwing Pastor Rick a curveball, maybe taking the sermon series in a whole different direction, you know, kind of surprising him when he gets back. But, but uh, the topic that he chose for our next sermon series was so good that I, as I started looking into it, I figured, well, you know, let's just stick with this. This is going to be really good. Uh, after the past few months of studying the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the book known as Second Corinthians, this morning we're going to be going back in time about 2,000 years before the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth, uh, moving on to a new series in the book of Genesis, where we're going to be looking specifically at the life of Abraham. Abraham, who is one of the most significant figures in all of Scripture, and really one of the most important figures in the history of the world. Abraham, whose name means father of a multitude, is an extremely unique person, both in biblical and world history. For example, Abraham is revered by followers of three world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Abraham is the founder of the nation of Israel and the father of the Jewish people. Abraham is also the father of the Arab people. His life literally changed world history. He is mentioned over 300 times throughout Scripture and celebrated throughout the Bible as the preeminent man of faith. In fact, in the Bible's Hall of Fame of Faith, found in Hebrews chapter 11, more space is devoted to Abraham than anyone else. One biblical commentator has said, if you ever carved a Mount Rushmore of faith, you'd have to begin with Abraham. Another commentator observed, next to Jesus Christ, Abraham is no doubt the most significant man mentioned in the Bible. Wow, that's some pretty high praise. And it is this man, Abraham, who we're going to be looking at over the summer here at Lakes Free. Because not only is his life an interesting story, but in his character, in his walk of faith, in his trials and triumphs, we can find many important lessons that are still extremely relevant for us today, even 4,000 years after Abraham's lifetime. Now, the story of Abraham that we're going to be following this summer begins in the book of Genesis, chapter 12. And Abraham enters the scene of world history at a pivotal time. You see, prior to the life of Abraham, the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11, give us an account of the early history of humanity. And it wasn't pretty. In Genesis 1 through 11, the Bible tells us how God's created order had been corrupted by the entrance of sin into the world and how rebellion and perversion and idolatry had become widespread throughout the human race. And even when God had stepped in trying to correct the wickedness of men and women in stories like the flood of Noah and the Tower of Babel, the Bible tells us that men and women still chose to abandon the truth and the worship of the one true Creator God. And it is into this setting that the story of Abraham begins. 
And we're going to see today that the story of Abraham is really the beginning of God's rescue plan for humanity. It's the foundation of the gospel, the good news of how God would provide a way for each and every one of us to be saved and literally all peoples of the world to be rescued from our sin and its inevitable one-way path to destruction. The story of Abraham begins over 4,000 years ago in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. The city of Ur was situated on the banks of the Euphrates River near the Persian Gulf in what today would be modern-day Iraq. Archaeologists have done major excavations in the city of Ur, and what they've uncovered of Abraham's hometown is really remarkable. The city of Ur dates back to around 2500 B.C., 500 years prior to the time of Abraham. This would make Ur one of the earliest human settlements following the flood of Noah and the repopulation of the earth. Ur was a remarkable place. Historians and archaeologists tell us that Ur was a highly advanced civilization. It contained roughly 300,000 people, and Ur possessed libraries, schools, and a legal system. The people of Ur were proficient in mathematics and astronomy and various forms of art. And Ur was a major economic center in the Middle East, given its strategic location in the Fertile Crescent. However, history also tells us that Ur was a spiritually dark place. In the center of Ur was a large temple, or ziggurat, which was the center of the polytheistic worship of the people of Ur. The people of Ur worshipped a variety of gods of nature, and their chief deity was the moon goddess named Nana. Nana was worshipped through various cultic sexual rituals. In fact, every female in the city of Ur would at one time in her life have to take her turn serving Nana as a priestess prostitute in the temple. This was the setting in which Abraham and his family lived. An advanced and prosperous city, but one that was spiritually lost and had forgotten the one true God. In fact, even within Abraham's own family, we know that the truth of God had been exchanged for the false gods of Ur. The book of Joshua tells us that Abraham's own father, Terah, was a worshiper of these false gods. And yet, as God so often does throughout Scripture, he sought out and found one faithful individual who had not fallen prey to the spiritual decay around him. We don't know much about Abraham prior to his appearance in Genesis 12, but Abraham like Noah before him, must have been a man whose heart had remained true to God. And because of Abraham's faithfulness, God sovereignly chose him to be the channel for his rescue plan for humanity. The man who would bring the people from whom the Messiah would come, Jesus Christ. Now friends, let's take a look this morning at what the Bible tells us about Abraham and how God would use him to begin his rescue of the human race. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Stephen actually gives us what is the account of God's first, his earliest appearance and call to Abraham. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. This is Stephen speaking to the Jewish elders in Jerusalem. 
And starting in verse 2, Stephen replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. Now, in this first account of Abraham's story, Stephen tells us that God initially appeared to Abraham and called him to leave his home in Ur. He was to leave his country and his people and journey to an unknown land which God was going to show him. If we go back to Genesis 12, now here the story gets fleshed out in a bit more detail. Let's take a look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled, as far, traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now friends, in this telling of Abraham's story, or Abram, as he is first known here in the book of Genesis, we read of God's specific plan for Abram and why God is calling him out of Ur. Here again, God asks Abram to leave virtually everything behind. His land, his people, or his family, and his father's household. Now you need to understand, friends, these were major requests on God's part. Leave your land, Abraham. But remember, Abraham was a shepherd. His land was the source of his wealth. Abraham, leave your family. But Abram's family, right, his wife was barren. His family and his relatives were his only chance to pass on his family name. Abraham, leave your father's household. To do this, though, would be to walk away from his birthright, his inheritance, and all the wealth his family had accumulated. God was asking a lot of Abram. But God had also promised Abram much in return in exchange for what he was being asked to leave behind. God tells Abram, I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to create for you a new family, a whole nation, in fact. And on top of all of this, I will give you an inheritance beyond your wildest imagination. You, Abram, are going to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. Wow. That's something to consider, huh? Now, at the time... Abram had no way of fully grasping the significance of what God was promising to do through him. 
Looking back at this passage from our vantage point today, 4,000 years later, we now realize that it would be through Abraham and the people of Israel that the Messiah would come, Jesus Christ, who would be the blessing to all peoples of the earth, God's rescue plan of salvation for humanity. But friends, Abram had no way of knowing all of this. All he knew was that God was asking a lot of him, but at the same time promising him much in return. Let me ask you a question. What would you do in this situation if you were Abram? You know, on the one hand, Abram has what is known. The comfort, the security, the financial stability of his life in earth. But on the other hand, there's this remarkable offer. And yes, it's going to mean walking away from everything he knows and everything he's comfortable with. But again, it's God here calling him, inviting him to step out in faith, to trust him. You know, what would you do if you were Abraham, weighing these two options? Well, we know what Abram did, and it literally changed world history. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, we read, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abram obeyed and went. He trusted God. He stepped out in faith, and he left his comfort and security behind, trusting that God had a remarkable plan for his life. Isn't that awesome, friends? I mean, what a model for us to follow. And yet, while Abram is rightly upheld as one of our greatest models of faith found in Scripture, the truth is, it wasn't all smooth sailing and Abram's journey with God. Let's look back at our two main passages here today. Acts chapter 7 and Genesis 12. And if we read these accounts of Abram's calling closely, we're going to see that Abram's faith in God's promises to him was tested very early on in his journey. Let's look again at Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. Let's read this section again. Stephen says, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abram while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans, the city of Ur, and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. Friends, did you catch that? God appeared to Abram while he was still in Mesopotamia, the city of Ur, and told him to go to the land that God would show him, meaning the promised land, or the land of Canaan. But what did Abraham do? Acts chapter 7 says, So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. He settled in Haran. Wait a minute. That's not what God told him to do. What's going on here? Take a look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now jump down to verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Friends, do you see what happened here? 
Abram initially trusted God and set out for the promised land, following the trade routes, following the waterways of the Fertile Crescent. However, along the way, Abram's faith was detoured, and instead of following God to the promised land, Abram set up shop in the city of Haran. Some scholars estimate that Abram and his family may have lived in Haran for upwards of 15 years. How'd this happen? Wasn't Abraham this great man of faith who trusted and followed after God? What about the promised land? Friends, I think the answer to this question is that Abram took his eyes off of God. He took his eyes off of God and he looked back to his life in earth. While Abram initially stepped out in faith, trusting God, it soon becomes apparent that Abram was still hanging on to some of the comforts and securities of home. The first thing we notice is that Abram still has his father's household with him. Acts chapter 7 says that his father Terah was there with him in Haran, along with his nephew Lot, according to Genesis 12. But God had commanded Abram to leave your family behind. You see, Abram was still hanging on to the securities of home. He hadn't yet fully broken away from his life in earth to trust God completely and his promises for his future. Furthermore, I think as Abraham set out for the promised land, he probably began to question his new life and his belief in the grand promises that God had made to him. I mean, just put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a moment. Here you are on this long journey. You're out in the middle of the wilderness... You've left your comfortable and secure home behind. You're following a God you cannot see to a land, a destination that you do not know. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the city of Haran. A city much like your hometown of Ur. And you begin to think to yourself, you know, I didn't have it so bad back there in Ur. Maybe we should just stop here for a while and put down roots, settle in here. We can build a life for ourselves like we had back in Ur. See, friends, Abram had lost sight of his true priority. While he initially trusted God and obeyed, as his journey unfolded, Abram took his eyes off of God and he looked back to Ur. And in doing so, he lost sight of the amazing adventure that God had called him to. And the far superior promises, the far superior promises that God had made to him. And because of this, he settled for life in Haran, where he felt comfortable and secure. And because of this choice, for over 15 years, the promises of God for Abram and the world were stalled on a dead-end street in a second-rate town. But thank God, he didn't give up on Abram. Acts chapter 7 tells us that after the death of his father, Terah, who shouldn't have been there in the first place, God somehow rekindled the fire of Abram's faith. And in Genesis chapter 12, we read that Abram and his remaining family left Haran, and he once again obeyed and went and set out for the promised land, the land of Canaan, which God would give to Abram for establishing the nation of Israel 
the home of the Jewish people from whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would ultimately come. And we're going to follow more of Abraham's story in the coming weeks. For now, though, I want us to stop here for today. And for the next few minutes, I'd like for us to consider some of the lessons that we can learn from this initial call of Abram and his journey of faith to the promised land. What can we learn today from this story about living a life of faith? Well, application number one from our lesson today is this. When living a life of faith, don't be surprised when God calls you out of Ur. Don't be surprised when God calls you out of Ur. In the story of Abram, we find God asking an ordinary person to engage in an extraordinary act of trust, to step out in faith, to step out of his life and comfort and security, his life in her, to trust God and follow him, joining him in this remarkable adventure. And you know, friends, when you think about it, really, isn't that the way God works all throughout Scripture? God calls ordinary men and women and invites them to step out in faith into his plans and purposes for their lives. And I'll tell you something, this is still the same way that God works today. Notice, friends, my application point says when God calls, not if. When God calls. You see, friends, the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, God is going to come calling. He's going to come calling. And I don't know what his call in your life might be or whether he might even have multiple plans for your life. But God's going to come calling. And he may ask you to step out in faith and to trust him. He may call you into something that you would have never dreamed for yourself. He may even ask you to leave your own personal error behind. Your life of comfort and security. To follow him and his plans for you. God's going to come calling. See, that's how he works. That's the nature of the life of faith. See, friends, Christianity is not a sedentary faith. It's active. It's always on the move. Always advancing. And God intends for each one of us to be a part of his divine mission. There's no such thing as sitting on the bench when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. God created us and he calls each of us to get in the game. To get in the game. The question we must all answer for ourselves, though, is this. When God calls, will I trust him enough to step out in faith and follow him? Let's take a look this morning at a fun little video illustration that highlights this point for us. Well, summer's almost over. I guess it's been pretty good. Just been hanging out with my friends. Oh, we won our Little League Championship. I was MVP. Don't mean to brag, but 57 home runs, only one strikeout. Every summer goes by faster. It's kind of depressing. But I guess I'm ready to go back. A lot of people been giving me a hard time lately, saying I'm too big for t-ball, too big for kindergarten, pushing me to graduate. I almost did it once a few years back. I heard that first graders got to write in cursive. It sounded pretty cool. But in the end, I just couldn't do it. 
I have my iPhone anyway. Johnny, what does the H say? Death Dog. My kids are a little embarrassed that they're further along than I am. Hey, girls. But I figure when it's time to go to first grade, I'll know it. It'll be obvious. The heavens will part. A voice will thunder. Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Eh, not thundery enough. One, two, three, go, go, go! If I graduate kindergarten, then I won't be eligible for t-ball. And I'm the man out here, a slugger, a star, and the only player on the team that hasn't had an accident in his baseball pants. Out there, who knows? I'm just not feeling it, you know. I don't feel called. I don't feel called to make myself uncomfortable. I don't feel called to no more summer breaks. I don't feel called to dad's pitch. Why have somebody throw a rock-hard baseball at me when I can hit it off of a tee? You know what I'm saying? Why do something that's hard when you can do something that's easy? I mean, we're undefeated. Why mess that up? It just doesn't make sense. But I guess some people don't get it. I guess some people just aren't smart enough to figure out how to stay comfortable, how to make life easy. It's kind of sad. I feel sorry for them. That was fun. You know, friends, most of us intrinsically sense that there must be more to life than simply passing time in our own personal earth, that we were made for something more than simply living the status quo, made for more than just t-ball. You know, I believe that God desires all of us to live a life of adventure, a life of purpose, a life that matters. And God calls each of us to live that kind of life. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You know, friends, that kind of life is only found when we trust God and step out in faith to embrace the plans he has for each and every one of us. Application number two from our lesson this morning is this. When living a life of faith, determine up front to make God's priorities your priorities. Make God's priorities your priorities. You know, friends, the decision to walk with God always involves a choice between risk and comfort. You know, life in Ur is comfortable. And unless you determine up front that Ur is not your home, you can be easily seduced into a life of complacency and ineffectiveness. Furthermore, if we as followers of Christ don't regularly rededicate ourselves to pursuing His priorities first and foremost in our lives, we too, like Abram, can find our own faith journeys being detoured in Haran. And again, Ur or Haran will be different for each of us, but it is simply the place where we trade God's invitation to follow Him for our own comfort and security. This means, friends, that in order to follow Jesus Christ, we must reject comfort and security as the ultimate values of our lives. Last year, in fact, one year ago today, I was traveling to China. You may remember I had an opportunity along with my father and brother to 
minister over in China to teach for an underground mission organization. We were going to be on the border of North Korea in one of the main border towns. And we had spent 30 hours traveling to the destination, the city where we were going to be teaching. Uh, it was a long flight over the Pacific. We were jet-lagged. When we arrived at the airport, they picked us up in a car, drove us eight hours north to the border, to the city where we were going to be staying, and we were wiped out. I was tired. I was hungry. I was missing my wife and my kids. And we pulled into the city, and it was dark at night. We couldn't see anything. And our hosts, our Chinese hosts, drove us up to the apartment complex where we were going to be staying for the week. It was an old, run-down, communist-style apartment building. My first memory of walking through the doors that night were the dim lights that were barely working. And then what struck me was the harsh smell of trash and urine in the hallway. And I remember ascending the flights of the stairs of this apartment building thinking, God, what am I doing here? Our hosts had prepared an apartment for us uh, to the best that they could with their limited resources. And when we walked in the apartment building, the black mold was covering the walls. I mean, this place would have been condemned here in the States. And, you know, I was emotionally wiped out and tired, and I remember thinking to myself, God, what have I gotten into? God, is there any way maybe we could, maybe we could get out of this place? Maybe we could stay at a hotel somewhere this week? And I was trying to figure out how do I even broach the subject without offending our hosts? And my dad, I think, recognizing my discouragement, my brother's discouragement, as we unpacked, he called us over. He said, boys, come on over. Let's pray together. And I remember as my father prayed, he said, one of the things he prayed that night, he said, Heavenly Father, please make your priorities our priorities this week. You know, friends, when he prayed that prayer, the Holy Spirit touched my heart. He changed my whole attitude for the rest of that week. See, I had lost sight of my true priority, that I had been called to go and serve the Lord that week, that I had been privileged to go and serve the Lord that week. But I had looked back to her, to the comforts and securities of home. And I forgot my true calling. I thank God for that prayer my father prayed that night. Friends, let me encourage you to make that prayer your own prayer for your life today. In fact, why don't you just bow your heads with me and let's pray together here this morning. Heavenly Father, make your priorities our priorities. Lord, let us see our lives and the opportunities in front of us through your, through your eyes and not through our own selfish desires, Lord. Give us the faith to trust in you and to follow you when you call. Lord, use all of us, our lives, to accomplish your will and to make an impact for Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, one of my personal heroes of the faith is a man named Jim Elliott. He was a missionary who was martyred in Ecuador in 1958 while trying to reach a tribe of headhunters known as the Ak Indians. Shortly before his death, Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Another famous missionary to China, C.T. Studd, once wrote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, determine up front to make God's priorities 
your priorities. Reject comfort and security as the ultimate values of your life. And when God calls, step out in faith to follow Him. I promise you, you will never regret it. Because there is no greater joy in all of life than to experience God using you for His eternal glory. Lastly today, and very briefly, application number three is this. When living a life of faith, don't fear the unknown, but trust in the one who is known. Don't fear the unknown, but trust in the one who is known. Friends, for the follower of Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as blind faith. And following God's call for our lives is not a leap of faith, as if we were simply jumping into the darkness. Rather, when God calls us, we can step out in faith boldly because we know who our God is. And He is always faithful. You see, when walking in faith, the challenge of the calling in front of us is nothing. And the time it might take to accomplish our calling is nothing. Because the nature of who God is, is everything. Who God is, is everything. Hebrews 11.1 says that Abram was commended for his faith. And biblical faith is defined here like this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Confidence and assurance. This is what defines our faith as believers. Confidence in what God promises and assurance of who He is. The next time God comes calling, friends, my prayer for you is that like Abram, you too will step out in faith with confidence and assurance to experience God's great adventures for your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the model of faith that we have in the life of Abraham. And Lord, I'm so looking forward to learning more from this man's life as we study it over the summer together. Lord, thank you that Abram stepped out in faith and obeyed and went and trusted you because it was through him, Lord, that all of us are here today as your children, saved because of Jesus Christ, who came from the line of Abram, that great hero of the faith. Lord, we know that following you is not always easy. The temptations to look back to Ur, to our life of comfort and security, are always there with us. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help each and every one of us to every day reaffirm that, God, your priorities are my priorities today. Let me live for you first and foremost. God, give us the confidence and assurance that we need each and every day to step out in faith, to trust and obey, and to walk into those marvelous, remarkable opportunities that you put in our lives. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of my friends here today might know the joy and the thrill and the excitement that comes from trusting you and stepping out in faith to follow you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promises to us and your faithfulness to us. And we pray all this in your precious name.